0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The 1993 college football season was set up to be North Carolina's first experience in big-time college football. The Tar Heels would start the year in what would be a season opener for the entire nation in the Disneyland Pigskin Classic. What's more? they'd be playing a marquee program from nearby Los Angeles, the Southern Cal Trojans. It would be the beginning of big things for the Heels who came in with big dreams on a big stage and wearing some big shoulder pads. I'm Joey Powell, and on this episode of The Backstory, I'll take a look at some of the key events that led up to the surprising outcome of a game that would signal the arrival of Carolina football under Mack Brown. The calendar year of 1993 started with some unusual fanfare. Rounding out the 1992 season, Mac Brown's 7-3 Tar Heels were invited to Atlanta to face off against an SEC opponent in Mississippi State who boasted the same record. After falling behind big in the first quarter, Brown's squad used a combination of steady runs by Natron means and blocked punts on special teams to overcome the favored Bulldogs and cement a big bowl win. The Tar Heels relished the pomp and circumstance of a popular bowl game and made good on their opportunity to get some national attention. In speaking with members of that team, many shared that they felt like the comeback against Mississippi State was the first in a series of steps towards cementing the program as one to be reckoned with. The taste of victory, seeing a glimpse of the fruition of their work, all of it was starting something. But as is commonplace with up-and-coming teams, an offseason can bring a world of change. Means, a senior from Concord, would graduate and began what would be a long and successful NFL career in San Diego. While one player may not a complete team make, he was the focus of the Tar Heel offense for nearly four years. The quarterback of that 93 team, Jason Stanisek, felt that going into the off season after Means' departure, left the team without an offensive identity. 90, 91, 92, our identity had been built around Natron, Stanisek shared. Losing that kind of presence meant that everyone, including the defense, had to take it up a notch. Returning to Chapel Hill for the spring semester, things felt different around Keenan Stadium. Some of the players were, quote, amazed at the response upon their return from the Peach Bowl, from Tar Heel fans and the community at large. But most importantly, things felt different around the program. There was a sense from the players that they'd tasted success and had developed an appetite for more. Another of the changes around Keenan Stadium happened in the weight room specifically in the personnel department. Gone was three-year strength coach Rich Tootin, who'd been lured back to the same position at Florida by Steve Spurrier. Replacing Tootin was a mountain of a man, a young Jeff Madden who'd been hired from Colorado by Mac Brown. Now, it's important to note, of all the players on the 93 team that I spoke with for this story, there was a single definitive commonality. Jeff Madden was a major part of the success that that team would go on to experience. Now most folks around college football know of Jeff Madden. Those who have played for him know him by a completely different moniker, however. Two words, one image, mad dog. Madden got to Chapel Hill and instantly brought a new attitude to the program. Now you might say, why does the hire of a strength coach make such a difference for a team's mentality? Fair question. But you've got to realize as any former college football player will tell you you spend more time around the strength and conditioning staff than you do any other members of a football's coaching staff thus an imposing figure the likes of mad dog instantly molding the mindset of a team collectively and individually is a weapon that any head coach wants in his arsenal an example after each group workout madden would have the team wrap with push-ups and then collectively shout out their focus on beating the next opponent. For example, beat OU as the team expected to open the next season against Ohio University. While that may seem innocent, if you can put such a demonstration in the context of days and weeks of repetition, you can see how it would help to give an entire locker room a singular focus, even if on a basic level. What else will bring a group of young men together? Adversity. In this case, the manufactured adversity of Mad Dog's survival run. This feat consisted of running suicides the length of the field in which each player had to beat his predetermined time. Immediately after suicides came a 300-yard shuttle, during which the players had to make another predetermined time. For the purposes of maintaining our family rating, I'm going to refrain from using the verbiage that was shared with me about the survival run from the players I talked with. Then one day after workouts, things went in a different direction. Coach Brown approached the team and let them know that they'd be opening the next season not against Ohio University as planned. The Tar Heels would instead be opening a week earlier in Anaheim against Southern Cal on a Sunday and on national television. Quite literally, the game had changed. But would the confident Tar Heels be up to the task? As Stanisek told me, UNC didn't have a super player. But they did have a lot of really good players. But Southern Cal? Well, they would trot out the likes of Tony Baselli, Rob Johnson, Tony Morton, Brian Williams, Jason Seahorn, and Willie McGinnis. Oh, and legendary coach John Robinson had returned to begin a second stint with the Trojans. The Tar Heels would, to put it mildly, have their work cut out for them. Spring turned to summer, and Jeff Madden continued to galvanize players. Summer workouts were mentally and physically hard. Former Tar Heel wide receiver Marcus Wall told me, "Summers when things started taking hold. It broke a lot of guys, but it also built guys. There were tales of fights during summer drills between players, not because of animosity, but because of accountability. Wall elaborated, Mad Dog started preaching to us, You are Carolina. Take the torch. This is what comes with carrying this torch of being a Tar Heel. Madden wanted the players to know and be confident in their own abilities but to earn the right to show those abilities off. One player told me that Mad Dog was, quote, perfect for giving us the confidence to win 10 games. If the summer was the time to build mental and physical strength, then fall camp was the time to build depth throughout your roster. The Tar Heels entered fall camp with a fair amount of veteran depth. Captains Corey Holiday and Rick Steinbacher, in their fifth years with the program, set the tone amongst the players and helped extend what the coaching staff was trying to teach, be confident, Don't let people think you're good. Show them. Defensively, the Tar Heels had legitimately eight players who could get meaningful game reps on the D-line. The linebacker position also had six guys who could be significant contributors. Stanisek said that talent was interchangeable on defense, constantly repping plenty of fresh bodies in practice, and he would know as he had to face them daily. The offense had more questions to be answered, however. With the aforementioned departure of Natron means the backfield would consist of the Johnsons, two young tailbacks who I'm obligated to say were unrelated, and they would combine with junior fullback William Henderson and develop into a pretty strong family of ball carriers. The wideouts were somewhat of a known quantity, and Stanisek, while not necessarily a Heisman candidate, was expected to be a stable quarterback. However, the real success on offense would not come from the players' talent alone; it come from a coaching staff decision to use that talent to fit the team and employ the option offense. I was also told of just how intense those practices were. Fights continued to break out between defensive backs and receivers out of sheer competitiveness. One player swore to me that practices were harder than the games, simply based on the combination of talent and effort that the Tar Heels presented. No green jerseys, he noted, game speed. So when the time came to head out west for the game, the Tar Heels felt like they belonged. They'd been coached to believe in themselves. The Peach Bowl had shown them that they had the talent to hang with top teams. And they felt like they were going to Disneyland for a big game and to get a win. Only their opponent and the rest of America didn't quite agree with Carolina's internally expected outcome. Little known fact about the game, the Tar Heels weren't even the first, but the fourth choice to play against the Trojans. Miami, Boston College, and Syracuse all turned the game down before Carolina would get their invite. On the flight out to L.A., Steinbacher read a quote in the newspaper from one of the Trojan players, boasting about how many of the Cardinal in gold could bench press a certain weight. Rick remembers being caught off guard. The Tar Heels had five times that many guys doing the same weight over the summer. One player I spoke with remembered a blatant lack of respect from the Trojans during the dual-team media and pregame events. He shared that SC players were making jokes, asking where the Heels basketball jerseys were an attempt to dig since the Carolina basketball team had just won the national title. It pissed us off, he said. So at this point, the sauce is mixed, right? All the ingredients are there. A little bit of motivation, a sprig of perceived disrespect, a dash of confidence. But how will this recipe develop once the game started? Well, Jason Stanisek ran the option to the Johnsons nearly flawlessly. Designed to run away from SC's Willie McGinnis, thereby neutralizing one of their biggest weapons, Tar Heels moved the ball early. Carolina would break through in the second quarter on a 19-yard sweep to the right for a touchdown by Leon Johnson, which was the first of his career. Looking back, Stanisek felt really confident about his team's chances early, especially after a near 50-yard bomb to Bucky Brooks on one of the quarterback's only eight throws of the day. Curtis Johnson would score on an option pitch, and Carolina was methodical, if not flashy. While UNC would thwart nearly every Trojan drive en route to a 14-3 halftime lead, the biggest statement of the game came from one of the smallest Tar Heels in the third quarter. On an option run to the left, Stanisek had advanced five yards beyond scrimmage before making a pitch to Marcus Wall, who'd motioned from the slot to tailback and then followed the play once the ball had been snapped. Wall, a wideout who the media guide listed at 5'10", 165 pounds, caught the pitch at full speed before being met 10 yards downfield by Trojan safety Mike Salmon. Now Salmon was listed at 6'1", and a full 45 pounds larger than the diminutive Wall. Yet when the two collided head on, Wall folded the larger defensive back into a heap while maintaining his own balance, the force of his blow breaking Salmon's shoulder. The impact happened within inches of the Tar sideline, sending a wave of intensity that rippled through the entire squad. What erupted was a complete confluence of preparedness, motivation, exhilaration, and whatever other positive football expressions you can name. Stanisek said it was the play of the game. The impact happened within inches of the Tar Heels' sideline, sending a wave of intensity that rippled through the entire squad. What erupted was a complete confluence of preparedness, motivation, exhilaration, and whatever other positive football expressions you can name. Stanisek said it was the play of the game. Wall would mention the play to me, but only after saying that he'd actually been cussed out for missing his motion cue the first two times the same play was called. Other players echoed the sentiment about that play. From that point of the game, the outcome was just a formality. The Tar Heels had literally and figuratively gone face-to-face with one of college football's big boys and had stomped them out. And there it was, late in the evening on August the 29th, 1993. Mac Brown's Tar Heels accepting a trophy after a 31-9 win. 408 yards of offense and a dominant defensive performance to boot. A blowout win in a game that they shouldn't have been in against an opponent that was the national favorite. Carolina raucously made themselves comfortable in the national spotlight. That team would go on to a 10-3 record and a second place ACC finish. And while the road to Anaheim was fairly improbable, you know how Mac Brown's Tar Heels made magic at Disneyland because now you know the backstory. If you'd like to learn more about this story, be sure to search Inside Carolina's online archives. Special thanks to Johnny T-Shirt for their support of this podcast. For InsideCarolina.com, I'm Joey Powell. I'll catch you next time.